Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. What a powerful and mighty presence of God is in this holy house. It would just make me feel wonderful if I could take about 40 minutes and introduce the man that is going to preach for us today. But that would be so unfair to you and him. But words fail me to tell what a great, great, great friend. Amen. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, because I'm certainly not calling Brother Bingham old. But I mean this. There's nothing like old friends. We've laughed together. We've cried together. We have seen each other high, and we've seen each other low. We've been together when it was fun to be together, and we've been together when we got on one another's nerves being together. That's how long we've been friends. That's how long we've been friends. He is a friend to thousands and thousands and thousands of people across our fellowship and around the world. If you've ever met him, to to meet him is to know him, and to know him is to love him. And we are just woefully sorry that Sister Bingham is not able to be here with us. She is in Kentucky with her father, who is 96 96 years old. And so we certainly uh, understand her absence today. And so that just gives us a very, very good reason to have them come back. And uh, I just don't want to, I don't want, with no further ado, would you make our friend... The man of this hour, Brother Mike Bingham, welcome to this book. It's so good to be here. Thank you, and you may be seated. I greet you today in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is indeed a privilege to be here today and to feel the presence of the Lord and to worship with this great congregation. I don't have time, three or four services, to warm up to you and then preach to you after I've already anchored a relationship, but today I come to you and this is the first service of our being together in a long time to ask you to trust me for a little while in your spirit and let the presence of the Lord do what it will in this sanctuary. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I would first tell you today that I'm not going to preach long. And that statement has made liars out of a lot of preachers. (laughs) I have no intentions of uh, staying at this pulpit a great deal of time, but I would like to give to you today from my heart a message from the Lord. Amen. I love your pastor. I love his beautiful wife and son and his son's wife. I'm thankful today that God has given me friends 
of a lifetime, folks that you can depend on, folks that you can love, and I certainly feel that relationship with this family and with this church across the years. You may say, Brother Bingham, why are you going to preach what you're preaching today? I would simply like to tell you this. When I was a little boy, about five years old, my family worked in the cotton fields of West Tennessee. Before daylight, there was a canvas-covered flatbed truck that would come through our neighborhood, and my grandmother and my mother and I would climb in the back of that old truck, and we would go to the fields to work. Early in the morning, the alarm would go off, my mom would rush to the kitchen and she would start cooking for our breakfast and our lunch. I can remember being awakened early in the morning and uh, the air was filled with the aroma of fried potatoes. <laughs> and I would think, who on earth could eat a fried potato sandwich. But about 11 o'clock, after we had <laughs> drugged that cotton sack up and down those rows, we would come to weigh in and my mom would say, uh, go get our little brown sack. And I'd scurry up in under the, the cotton trailer and I'd grab the sack that had our name on it and I would bring it out and man, I'm going to tell you what, I liked fried potato sandwiches. Today you might say, you know, this sermon is inappropriate for me. Uh, there may be someone here that needs it, but today it's not necessarily what I need. Just put the paper sack under the trailer, because I promise you, there will be a point someday that God will quicken this sermon to your heart. Amen. Just stay with me for a little while. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. My thought today will be when sacrifice becomes your downfall. When sacrifice becomes your downfall. There are three basic types of giving brought to us in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 23, tithe is re-endorsed to the church. Tithing is simple, it's a tenth of your increase. And if people truly love God, they don't have a problem paying tithe. If they sincerely love God, they realize that the tithe is for the ministry and the ministry should not be muzzled as an ox in the field, but that they need a shepherd of their soul and tithing is not a burden to those that really love God. The second type of giving the Bible talks about in the New Testament is 
free will offerings that uh, was given to those who uh, were doing a work in the kingdom of God. That administration was uh, broad spread. There was many uses of that free will offering. There was no uh, parameters. There wasn't a designated as tithing 10%. It was from a man's heart, let right. him give. Right. And then the scripture talks about alms, which was uh, a gift that someone would give to one who was less fortunate. That had special references in the New Testament to widows and to orphans that they would be cared for. The Old Testament type of that was to leave the corner of the fields and don't go back and glean the second time because... There are those who are less fortunate that need to have a way to live. And so the scripture talks to us of alms. Tithes, offerings, and alms. The definition today that I would like to work with on the word sacrifice, if you went to your dictionary and you found uh, sacrifice, there would be two definitions there that I would like to expressed to you the first one was simply something that is given to God something offered to deity is a sacrifice by definition the other definition there is that giving beyond the call of duty something that you go past the expectation to give something that you want to give To people that love God, tithing is not a problem. To people that love God, offering is not a problem. And to people that love God, they will definitely see the need to alms and that is not a problem. But there are those who sit in the kingdom of God and after a time of going through as it may be the rituals and rites and all of the daily, weekly, monthly uh, schedules and sources that we go through to have church sometimes we hit that rhythm and then there comes that revival or that moment in a church's history when someone seeks and desires to not just be the common giver at church there is that wooing to go desperately farther than they had been before that desire to walk past the commoner They want to offer God a sacrifice, something that uh, they could be saved without giving. They have already made all of the gifts and contributions that it would take for them to be saved, but that's not enough. Somewhere in a prayerful moment, that desire comes to offer God that gift that is over above and beyond what God would expect of them and they desire that so desperately. I would simply like to tell you that somewhere in the future it would be the devil's pleasure and the devil's goodwill to take that gift that you offered to God in a moment of sincere dedication that gift that 
No one else could offer. It was you and you alone. It was your choice. The preacher didn't make you do it. It was something down inside that beckoned and called for you to walk into the presence of the Lord and offer that gift. And you chose to do that. It would be the devil's pleasure at some point to take that very offering and gift that you gave with such love and honor and admiration to the Lord and bring it back to you and make that offering stink in your nostrils every time you think about the gift that you gave God. The Old Testament, there were two altars in the tabernacle in the wilderness. There was a brazen altar that set out front. It was morning sacrifice and evening sacrifice. and It was a bloody sight to those who stood near. It was not uncommon to hear uh, the blading of lambs in their dying moment, the death moans that would roar off of that altar. It was not uncommon to see blood splattered there on the altar before the Lord. It was the altar of sacrifice. It was men who had sinned and transgressed and people who had made mistakes that came there and gave that offering to the priest. And the scripture says that he was to take that offering and Psalm said that he would tie, he would tether the front legs of that lamb to a horn on the corner post of that altar. Then he would tie that strap to the back legs of that lamb and stretch it out on the altar and tie it off. There was reason for that because when he reached for that priestly dagger by his side and slit the juggler of that lamb laying on the altar... And it was there that with every heartbeat that crimson flow of life drained out of that lamb. And with every heartbeat the splatter and the gurgling and the frailing and the jerking and the death jerks began to happen. They needed that lamb to be tethered to the altar so it didn't flounce around on the ground and mess everything up. But it was tied securely in that brazen altar. I would tell you today that when you bring your sacrifice to God, you need to tie it to an altar and keep it tied there. Don't let the time and the hour and the day, let that lamb ever get off of that altar and walk away from the gift that you gave God in a moment of sincerity. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yet should I speak about a second altar? After leaving the brazen altar, it was there that the priest would walk down the center aisle and there was an altar of incense. That altar of incense was not made of the same material, yet it was fired by the same fire. It was the priest who would take a long tong and reach down into the embers of that brazen altar altar of sacrifice and he would carry that coal that ember to the altar of the incense and there he would release it and it would fall into the altar of incense and there was that aeration and that aroma that boiled out of there it was all types of 
uh, fragrances that were much more pleasant than the dying fragrances of singed hair and blood being cooked on an altar. It was there at the altar of incense uh, that the scripture talks about that that air was so laden with that fragrance that even a fly could not come into the sanctuary because of the beauty of the odors and the job that was being done. I come to tell you today that there will be a time when you need to keep the altar of incense burning in your life. You will come before the Lord with a sweet smelling fragrance of praise and worship. It has to be. If not, there will be a day when the odor from the altar of sacrifice will override the odor from the altar of incense. Amen. How many times have we watched incidents? Many of you could preach this sermon from here on better than I. A few weeks ago, Sister Bingham and I were in the Yukon Territory on our way to Canada, through Canada, on our way to Alaska. We stopped and preached at a church. When we got there, The pastor's wife sat across the table and she said, you know, we're leaving next week to go on vacation. said, we're going to go down in the lower 48 and we're going to see our family there. She said, when we first moved up here years ago, it never bothered me, but said, you know, we've missed a lot of birthday parties. We've missed a lot of gatherings of our family being... 1,800 miles away from our children. Wow. It just seems different now than it felt when I made the commitment to yeah. come up here yeah. and serve. Yeah. Church family, when you come to this congregation, they begin to sing the songs of Zion. They lift their hands yes. and tears roll down. You better light your altar of incense. Yes and raise your hands toward heaven and sing the songs of Zion and let praise boil out of your soul. If you don't, the very commitment that you gave to God will someday come back and haunt you in a place that you don't ever want to visit. Amen. When I was evangelizing years ago in Dallas, Texas, I went to a barber shop one day that was owned by a man who attended church. And we were just shooting the breeze, talking, spending a little time. And I had remembered in my childhood the man that was his pastor. He was a great big Texan, 6'2", 220 pounds drove that light blue Cadillac, always wore that white Stetson. He, he was to be admired by a child. Sure. I liked his boots. I liked the cowboy shirt. I liked all that he showed. And that name came to my mind, and because no special reason, I just asked him, I said, uh, whatever happened to, and I call the preacher's name, yeah. It was then that 
the barber turned the clippers off and he spun my chair around. And his lower lip was quivering and tears filled his eyes. That place was filled with other patrons. And he said, when that preacher left town, he left town with $5,000 of my money. He said, when we built the new church out here on the four lane, he said, I went and borrowed $5,000 on my house and I gave it to build the new church. I don't know today exactly how all the mess came about, but somehow the pastor owned the property and they built the church and the church was supposed to buy the property and something went awry and the pastor sold the whole property and left town and I'm not saying he was right. No. I'm just saying that that $5,000 is not worth going to hell over is right, what I'm trying right, to say. Right, 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 right. He said he left town and he reached back and he patted his wallet and he said he left town with my money. And I thought... You know what? The day you went to the bank and signed the note, nobody was making you do that. You did that because you wanted your kids to have a place to go to church and your grandkids have a place to get married and you wanted wanted to give. It wasn't that you were, you gave that as a sacrifice. It was up and beyond the call of duty. You chose to do that. And yet, at the hour when the devil catches the temperature just right in your spiritual attitude. He loves to come back and bring that thought to your mind and again and again you have to chew that cud that brings nothing of nourishment to your spirituality again and again and you find yourself frustrated and hating the gift that you once gave God so sincerely. There's just something about the sacrifice. Amen. 1968, I was 14 years old. We built a new church in Anderson, Indiana. It was that summer that a particular family in our church who had held much of the prestigious jobs and the giving to even build our new church. That summer, instead of them taking their two-week vacation and going to Colorado to the mountains or taking their family to the beaches of North Carolina, they took their two weeks off and every morning when my dad and I got to church, that family was there to help us work on the new building. Wow. What a gift. Yeah. What a sacrifice. Yeah. One day, I was home from evangelizing and my dad was eating breakfast every morning at a little restaurant called the Jim Dandy. We walked in and uh, I had been gone from home long enough I didn't know any of my dad's buddies by then. But as we walked in, everybody's, hey, Rev, how you doing? And walked down and I just went on back and sat down and waited on him to come to the table. And after a while, he comes to the table after greeting everyone and sits down. And in a minute, there was a gentleman that neither of us knew came and stood at the edge of that table and he said, 
are you Reverend Bingham? My dad said, yes, I am. He said, do you pastor the church on 53rd Street? My dad said, I do. He said, the other night, I was in Joe's Bar down by Delco Remy and said, uh, there was a guy sitting alone at the counter drinking. And he, when he got drunk enough, he stood up in that dark room and said, if it wasn't for me and my family, there wouldn't be a new church out on 53rd Street. Oh, wow. wow. You know, I hate to confess to you how close to truth that is. Yes. Yes. They gave beyond the call of duty. Yes. But as time went on and he did not get the position he felt he was entitled to, all of that giving soured in his spirit. Oh my. He got bitter. Got ugly. Left the church. His children were raised outside the walls of the church. Oh my. I, I wish I could just tell you today if I could show you one, one portion of my heart. Church family, listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say today, it's the devil's pleasure. When your kids are about 13 or 14, to drag you out of the church just long enough for your kids to get married in sin and someday you'll come back. I know that. You're tender toward God. But your kids... Go away in that little short. I'm telling you, you need to hold on to the altar. You need to stay near the calling of God. You need to let the presence of the Lord do a work in your life. You better come to church on prayer meeting night. Come. Lift your hands. Put that coal off the altar of sacrifice in your spirit. Let that praise and aroma, let that talking in tongues wash you clean. Let it aerate all of those inner feelings. That moment when you'd like to be bitter against your pastor or his family or a Sunday school teacher. Boil all of that out. Don't let your sacrifice be the downfall that drags you away from the promises of God in the rest of your life. And the stories go on and on. My dad and I were in the office one night at church and a man knocked on the door and said, uh, God called me to Oklahoma. I'm going to go start a home missions work. This is our last service here. He had never discussed that with any of the leadership. He was in prayer at his table one night, pulled out his map, closed his eyes, spun the map around and touched the map and said, God told me to go right here. This is where wow. I'm supposed to be. Wow. He left our church. His kids were in the choir. They, we loved them. I love them till this day. I pray for them when, when I think about them. He moved to Oklahoma. 
started a church, had it in the living room. He was there maybe six, seven years. One day we looked up and he came back, sat on the back row of the church. He was cold, he was bitter, he was just never the same, never, he was always critical after that. He was always intensely critiquing everything we did and he came home. His daughter's married out of the church in a faraway place. It's not that he couldn't have been saved at home. Right. I'm not saying that God didn't call him. I, I, I'm not judging his calling. I'm just telling you that he'd done that of his own accord. Yes, he did that because he thought that was what he was supposed to do. Yeah. And, and when it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to, instead of him coming home and sitting down on the front row where he was used to sitting and yes. loving God and worshiping, it was impossible to burst him off the seat or drag him down the aisle. He was just forever ever entangled in this thing that nobody did him right and nobody could help him and uh, when he needed them most everybody turned their back and, and the sacrifice that he gave so sincerely to the right, Lord right. came home to bother him parents who have raised their kids in church loved God served God and their kids walked away I'm going to tell you, you can't live for God for your kids. That's their choice. They're free moral agents. You do everything you can. You love them. You pray for them. You walk in righteousness before them. But when your kids get ready to serve God, they've got to serve God on their own. But I've seen those kids who would go wayward and the parents get bitter at the church. You know, my kids, they aren't here. And pastor didn't use them and, and there was there's always some stigma somewhere that forces them to that point of they grow embittered and cold and angry and you know what you need? You need to go stand at the altar of incense. Lift your hands and sing some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air. You need to let it boil out of not just your vocal cords, but it needs to come out of that inner sanctum that dwells in your lower part, that innermost, that ego, that, that center of who you are, and sing it as unto the Lord. Amen. You know what? When you pay your tithe, you don't pay your tithe to your preacher. You pay your tithe unto the Lord. When you give your offering, you don't give your offering to this church. You give the offering unto the Lord. When you give that sack of almost two ripe tomatoes to your neighbor, you give them as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord, yes, sir. Because at some point, your pastor may let you down. At some point, you may not see eye to eye with your church. And one day, your car may get a rent tomato throat at it. But if you give it to God, 
He is a good bookkeeper. Your pastor may forget your name. Your church may forget your anniversary. But I'm talking about a bookkeeper that is able to remember everything that you ever did for God. When you slid by the church at two o'clock in the morning and no one else was here, the bookkeeper was taking notes. When you stopped on the side of the road and prayed because your heart was burdened and heavy for somebody, the bookkeeper's keeping notes. Your pastor may not give you the accolades, the church may not give you the, the beautiful marker to put on your wall, but I can tell you this, God knows exactly who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you've given. It doesn't matter who forgets that. God will never, ever forget that. Please listen to my text again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Not acceptable to the preacher. Not acceptable to the UPC. Not acceptable to the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ or the church of Jesus Christ. We're talking about acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'd like for you to stand with me right now. We're gonna lift our hands and our hearts unto the Lord. We're gonna reach to Him right now. We're gonna call on His name. You may be wounded from a past experience that you had no control over. You may be broken from a situation that you feel you did not deserve. I come to tell you today that God is here. He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. He's walking up and down the aisles of this church right now as a heart mender. He's walking up and down the aisles of this church as a mind mender. He's here today to strengthen you. As our music starts today, I'd like to invite everyone in this congregation to walk out of the aisles and come and let's gather at the altar today. I would like to ask you to come and give God that praise from the altar of incense that washes away all of the hurt. In Jesus' name, sing into the This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. 
Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.